And family, at this time, I'm going to transition. We have a guest speaker with us this morning, a um, good friend of mine. Uh, as most of you know, I think, at this point, um, just a couple months ago, uh, I accepted a new uh, ministry role, uh, serving with, uh, together. The tagline is Advance the Gospel. Together, Advance the Gospel. And this organization, this ministry, is it's a partnership of pastors and churches around the state of Rhode Island and kind of southeastern Mass, the surrounding area there, uh, where churches and pastors come together for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God, committed to one another and work together to build the kingdom of God together. And so, man, it has been such a privilege um, to have the invitation and to be able to serve this organization. And really, this past two months uh, has been working behind the scenes with Dave, who is the founding director of the organization. It started about 12 years ago in 2010. Uh, and he is here this morning. Thank you so much, Dave, for being here with us to tell us a little bit more about it and give us the word. So thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. So it's good to be with you guys again. I have worshiped with you before, kind of stuck in the back row. And, uh, you know, I've been ministering in Rhode Island for over 50 years. And uh, it's great to be in the island part of Rhode Island. <laughs> we don't do that that often. But, you know, uh, our church started very much like this, so the group about this size, committed to reaching our region, and uh, just starting out small, wanting to do some things different, as God's been leading you to do some things different from the way others have, but focusing on basic things. How can we disciple people into faith and have them see themselves as ministers of the gospel? So over the decades that we were there in our church, we saw tremendous growth, but all of it came just because of the, the, the ministry of individuals like you. So we were determined to be not a church with small groups, but a church of small groups. And as these small groups gathered, that's where people were discipled, and many times on a one-to-one -one basis over many weeks. So we had literally scores of people in our church that had been invested in by some other believers, just sharing with them the things that they had learned in faith, and then encouraging them to open up their homes as little lighthouses and, and just host a Bible study in your home. And so many of the people who became first-time believers in Jesus, that happened in a home gathering. And so uh, the, the church just began to grow. And over, over those decades, we became a church of hundreds with many home groups and two different daughter churches. And similarly, we were making an impact. But in 2003, something really happened to kind of make us wake up. That if God was giving us this vision to reach our state, we were never going to be able to do that alone. Even if we got to be thousands, we'd still just be a little tiny fraction. And that this was going to require the whole body of Christ sharing the whole gospel to every person. And we couldn't do that. But what we could do is do our part to help all of us do it together. So our church actually made a commitment that part of our aims, our strategy, would be to connect with other churches to either help new churches get started or encourage the ones who were already there or somehow to be a resource to them as well. And that meant that that now became part of my responsibility as a pastoral leader. How do we make that happen? And so I was spending more and more of my time, not just with the people in our own little flock, but with other pastors and others trying to discern, you know, how can God use us in a better way? So in 2010, there were about 30 pastors from around our state that came together to wrestle with a, a simple question, and that was, could we possibly change the world? I mean, specifically our world here in Rhode Island. How do we make a difference about that? And is that even possible? And as we thought about that, we thought about what we're up against because our society was bad to start with. I mean, Rhode Island is one of the least churched states in the country with one of the lowest percentages of real evangelical followers of Jesus in our whole country. The city of Providence, one of the, most, the least Bible-minded cities in all of America. Number 100 out of 100. <laughs> so, and then our, our whole society, our whole country is just drifting away from its Judeo-Christian roots. Uh, more and more people are, are not wanting to affiliate with a particular denomination or, or, or say that they're something, even if they grew up in one tradition or another. And so with, with all that uh, facing us, we were wrestling with this question, what are we going to do different? Something's got to change. Now, we're not going to be able to really make an impact in just doing the same old, same old. And as we wrestled with that question, God led us to some simple biblical principles that we saw needed to get, get implemented in our lives in order to see that change come about. 
as we thought about this, and I remember one of those early gatherings where we were talking about what if we really encouraged each other to make a cultural change in our churches so that we're different and we do things different, we do ministry in a different way. And one pastor stood up and he said, Dave, this is a great vision, but it's not going anywhere without leadership. I think that God's called you to lead this thing. Well, that was a surprising statement, but uh, 14 other pastors all quickly nodded and said, yeah. And I said, look, I'm not going to do this unless I know that all of you are on board. We're going to do this together. But that was, that was the beginning. They made that commitment, and we went forward. And since that time, that was about 2010, I was still a busy pastor. We had all the stuff going on in our church. But we were just going to do this thing together, and I had this leadership responsibility. Well, in the passage of time, uh, we're having to make a transition ourselves. And I, I preached my first sermon literally this month, 60 years ago, at a little rescue mission in Providence. And uh, now it's time for my ministry to zero in on my family and its needs, my wife, whose name is Margaret, by the way, and, and just uh, ask God to, to help us be what we're supposed to be at this stage of our lives. And so we're going to be moving in just a few weeks to another state down south where my son is nearby and just kind of getting ready for the, the final stretch, if you would. But uh, along the way, God has just in a very clear way led our leadership team to someone who could kind of take the baton and keep this movement going. And that person is your pastor, Ed. And as we've gotten to know him, we've realized that he is perfectly equipped by the Holy Spirit to be the man we need right now and to have your church be a partner with him. Because just as we realize that we're not doing this alone, we've got our own church working with others, it's going to be the same for you guys. It's not going to just be him working with some strangers out there, but you're going to be a part of this journey uh, together. But as we were led to uh, think about how do we do things differently, there's a, a scripture verse, really a section of scripture that kind of encapsulates what those principles were. And that's what I wanted to share with you this morning, because they had to do with your life as well. I don't know if your tradition is to bring your physical Bible or use your phone or whatever, but if you, if you have a Bible, I want to direct you to the book of Acts, chapter 3, where these, uh, these lessons were made. <coughs> Acts, chapter 3. Now, this is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. You say, wait a minute, what about chapter 2? That's when Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit comes. Nothing's going to happen without him, that's true. But it's in chapter 3 that we learn what the church began to do that actually ended up completely changing their world. So let's uh, read just the first 10 verses for starters, and you can follow along. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Acts 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that's called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, and he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What happens in both verses and a few that follow describes what the church from this moment on began to do, which over the course of the next 200 years completely turned the Roman Empire upside down and ultimately Western civilization. And we're here today because of what started uh, right here. The, the significance of this moment was captured in an old painting of one of the masters. His name is Nicholas Poussin. And the title of the painting is Saints Peter and John on the Steps of the Temple. And I've highlighted there in the middle the, where the action is going on in this painting. It's the moment when Peter says, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. Rise up in the name of Jesus. And the man gets up and is healed. 
And what's described in this scene is exactly what we need to be doing if we're going to answer that question, can we change the world? That's the question for you. Because it's personal. Is it possible to change your world? Think about the neighborhood where you live. Think about the set of associations that you have. Uh, the, the club you belong to, the gym you work out at, the place where you work, the in-laws and outlaws that you have in your family. You know, all those different people. Could that ever change? Could those people be changed? Could they become ardent followers of Jesus with a new life and be able to sing that song, I'm not the same? Yeah. Well, it could if we follow these principles. There are three. And these really are the watchwords of this whole together partnership. The things that we're trying to advocate, the things that are going to be for Ed to really have on his heart. How can I help others do this? The first one is devote yourself to prayer. I mean, prayer is where it starts. And in this opening verse of chapter 1, of chapter 3, there you see it. Peter and John are on the steps of the temple and they're heading up to pray. Why don't we put the verse up? One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Now, they had a specific time when they were going to be praying, but this was a starting point for them. Right from chapter 1, the early church had been praying, waiting for, for what Jesus said was going to be coming. And then in chapter 2, you remember they're meeting in their homes, they're sharing bread with one another, and they're devoting themselves to prayer. It was a part of what they were doing, and it was going to continue. Nothing happens apart from that. Now, when they prayed, they didn't pray any longer the way they used to. Jesus had changed all that, and one of the things he taught them to pray was to pray, thy kingdom come. We're asking Jesus to become the king of our lives more than he has been. We're asking him to become the king of the lives of the people around us. That's what it means to, to pray kingdom prayers. Lord, would you be the king? Would you reign over this person, that person, the other person? Become their king. I wonder if you pray kingdom prayers. Are there specific people in your life that you know are far from God and need a relationship with him and you're asking, Lord, would you do that in them, change them? So over the years in this partnership, we've found some ways to try to encourage people to do that. One of the most dynamic is called Together We Pray. And it's a simple process where we have churches around the state that volunteer to take just one day a month to devote themselves and specific volunteers in their church to praying in very specific ways for the advance of the gospel in their communities and in our state. Another church takes the next day, and another church the next day, and so on. The idea being, ideally, to fill up the calendar so that every day, 24-7, there's intercession going up for Jesus to do something big. Jesus to do something in these people's lives. And right now, I think there's about 16 or 17 that are doing this. That's a total of probably several hundred intercessors who are taking a half an hour or an hour in the day that their church has it today, and they're praying. And, and during that month, they're all praying the same ways. Now, we give them a guide that's going to be helping us write those guides to have them pray the very same things for Jesus to be uh, the most famous person in our life. So together we pray is one of the things. Another one that's shown in a picture here is that we gather pastors and ministry leaders together to pray. It really starts with them. They need to see the vision. They need to realize we're on the same page together, same team, doing the same work here in our region. So since 2005, we've had 15 years where we've had pastors from all over the state come together for three days just praying. No band, no guest speakers, just meeting together with God, getting on our knees together. And I think we've got now probably 80 Rhode Island pastors that have experienced that together. And then every month, every quarter, we get together, as this scene shows, is a, a prayer breakfast where we just spend a couple of hours doing the very same thing, just interceding together for God to work in our ministries and through our lives. So one of the big responsibilities that Ed's going to have is how do I keep stirring that pot? How do I gather other people to help make that happen? How can we put a team together that can encourage more to get involved, to equip them to be able to do that, to make prayer a real priority? That's what we need to be doing. You need to be doing that in your own life. Becoming a person who prays those kingdom prayers for the people around you. That's the first principle. The second one is that you need to show that you care. Now really, in showing that you care, you're simply doing what Jesus did, right? 
Think about Jesus' ministry was described by one as simply being mighty in word and deed. And Jesus was mighty in word and deed. And so there were works of healing and compassion, ways that he demonstrated the love of God to people in practical ways, and then the things that he said that helped them engage with the kingdom of God. That was the theme of his message. Well, how do we do that? How do we become people who demonstrate that we care? Well, we see it right here in our text. Notice in verse 4, it says that Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter says, look at us. I think the most important thing there is the first one. Peter looked at him. Now think about this. This man has been being brought every day to the steps of the temple for who knows how long. And Peter and John, being devout Jews, they've been to the temple numerous times themselves. They have to have seen it before. How could you miss this? But somehow, Peter realizes that we've been missing something here. And he kind of locks on this man. And you can imagine a little bit of the, the, the back and forth of just looking at one another, what's going on here. And Peter's realizing, wow, this guy's here every day. But it, that must be a project. Who gets him here? He gets brought here by somebody. I wonder who that is. And when he goes home, where does he go? Who do, how does he eat? He doesn't have any money unless somebody gets it to him. All these things are running through Peter's mind as he's starting to pay attention to what's going on around him. And I think that's the principle for us. The way we're going to become real caring believers whose lives are going to have an impact on others is people who are noticing other people and their struggles. We're, we're getting our eyes off of ourselves and starting to look at other people. A lot of folks think, oh, everybody's been in my neighborhood. Oh, no, they're not. And below the surface of their nice sided houses are problems in their lives. But we need to go looking for them. They're not just going to jump out at us. We need to pay attention to what those are. Now, if you become a, a believer who's now kind of open-eyed about the world that we're living in, you're seeing all the problems that are there, that can get pretty discouraging. You know, they're like, oh man, this is terrible. The world's falling apart. What can I do about it? And the tendency is to think, well, there's nothing that I can do. But what we need to do is face our own limitations. You're not supposed to fix everything. We're not going to be a social movement to change society. Society might get changed, but it will happen one person at a time. It's going to happen in the world where you are. So Peter faced his limitations. That next verse shows that, verse 6. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. So that's what the man was really hoping to get. Peter didn't have any of that. There's a lot of needs that people have that you can't do anything about. That's okay. It's all right for you to say, Lord, I'm, I'm just me. You know, I can, just, I can only do what you call me to do. But the good news is that though he didn't have everything, he did have something. Now, we may not have supernatural apostolic gifts like Peter did to say, rise up and walk. But we've got many things that God's given us that could touch the lives of other people, meeting needs in their lives. And that's what Peter did. Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I give to you. And then he acted in faith. He had to believe God's going to do something. I, I can't make this man well, but God can. And watch God do the supernatural thing. Ministering this way individually is a big change for a lot of folks. And ministering to our communities this way for our church is a big change for a lot of us. We've never really thought about this. You know, maybe some churches will go out and, you know, just distribute tracts. Well, that's nice. That's good. We're getting the gospel out. But in what way are we doing the kinds of things that Jesus did that are touching lives where people are really hurting and making a difference to them? Well, <clears throat> encouraging that is the reason why we have this together partnership. How can we change ourselves to become a church and churches that are reaching out in practical ways where if our churches completely went out of business, anybody in town is going to notice. <laughs> like, are they going to get missed? Because some need that we've been meeting isn't going to be being met anymore. That'll be a challenge for our brother to find ways to encourage other pastors to have that kind of a heart and lead their churches in those directions. So that's the second one, is demonstrate that you care. Now, if we just did those two things, pray a lot and care a lot, what would we be but more do-gooders? <laughs> you know, just, just trying to find some good deeds that we can do and saying a prayer once in a while for folks. Nothing ultimately gets to the transformation that's needed unless people are hearing the news about Jesus. They need to hear the gospel, that Christ loves them, died for them, 
We'll forgive them. We'll give them a new life, give them purpose, cause the Spirit to dwell in them, change them in every way. And so that's our commission, to go and proclaim that good news to every creature. So how can we do that better? A lot of churches say, well, we need something more spectacular. Let's bring in so-and-so and so-and-so. We'll have a big meeting. Our church grew by hundreds over years without a single evangelistic service. We never had a big event to invite people to. Instead, we asked, how can we get the gospel into the lives of the people that we already know? How are we going to do this effectively is to do it the same way Jesus did it. How did Jesus do it? Well, first, you lead with your deeds. You live it out so that they can see the gospel transforming your life by the way it impacts them. When our church became involved in this partnership, and we began to like zero in on these, these three key things, praying and caring and sharing. On the caring part, I realized, well, we've done a lot of disciple making. We've done a lot of Bible studying. We've, we've done a lot of talking to people about Jesus. But we've never really zeroed in on this question of how can we make an impact in a practical way in our community. We need to repent and start doing some things differently. One of the opportunities God gave us along the way was to make a connection to a local elementary school. And we asked them, is there some way we can serve you or help you? And at first they were like, oh no, church and state, you can't be involved in our school. But eventually they, they began to trust us and see that we really did care. And an opportunity for, to meeting a need that they had, which was the school was a mess. There was like, you know, weedy, old, overgrown shrubs and everything all around the school. And the principal thought, no kid ever want to go to this ugly school. And they said, well, maybe you can do something about that. So we raised up volunteers, and one Saturday morning, we had about 100 people show up at that school. We had some people the night before rip out all the overgrown old shrubs, bring in a load of mulch and dump it on the parking lot, and have a flatbed truck loaded with flowering shrubs and evergreen trees. And in the course of five hours, those volunteers completely changed the look of that school. It was an amazing thing. It was the first time we'd ever done anything like that. And we had a lot of interesting conversations come out of it. That's the first step, is lead with your deeds. But what we find here in the book of Acts is that it was the change of that man's life. That crippled man became a man who could walk. Caused quite a stir, and it caused people to wonder, what's going on? Where did this, how did this happen? And that became the opportunity for Peter to say, hey, this has happened because of Jesus. This is the getting ready to share part. Using those relationships, those experiences that you're having to be able to open the door for the gospel. And here's an interesting way that played out at that elementary school. So I'll show you the next slide. <clears throat> there were several of us working around this tree, put actually creating that planting bed and putting in those shrubs. We were digging in the dirt, literally. And a woman came and knelt in the dirt with us, and she's working away. And I said, uh, nice to chat with you. And I said, what do you do? She says, I'm a school teacher. She said, that's my classroom right there. We were like 15 feet away from her classroom. And I said, oh, that's great. I said, well, I'm the pastor, and we're having a lot of fun doing this. And, and what happened next completely shocked me. She starts to cry. And with tears on her cheeks, she said, why are you doing this? Well, I answered her question in a thoughtful way about Jesus. We're doing this because we think this is the kind of thing Jesus would want us to do. It's the kind of thing Jesus did. And from that, I was able to share the gospel with her. And ever since, it struck me that that's really what needs to be going on more and more and more and more is that more of us are living our lives in such a way that it would ever cause someone to say, why are you doing this? Why are you here? Why are you doing that for me? Why are you doing that for them? And the more we do that, the more we're going to have an opportunity like Peter talked about when he said, they're going to ask you for a reason for the hope that is within you. And that's how the gospel goes from one person to the other. And that's how the ancient Roman world was turned upside down. Those Christians were different, lived differently, cared differently. People saw what was going on. They heard the good news as they shared the gospel in everyday life. And their world was changed. Ed and I recently have been to several meetings with leaders from all over New England where we've been asking this same basic question. How can we finish the task? How can we get the gospel to every person? 
And this has been a part of our vision and our burden that's going to be more and more events. We're thanking God for him. We're thanking God for churches like yours. And they're starting to think, like, maybe we could do some things differently to see the gospel transforming others through our lives and we become disciple makers and disciples. So I'll just close with this question. How can you change your world? You're going to let God change you. You have to be a different person, living your Christian life in a different way. And you collectively as a church need to ask God, Lord, change us. Make us the people that you want to use to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Are you open to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, to having your life not be about you, but about others? Not having your gaze fixed on yourself, but your gaze fixed on others and what God wants to do in their lives. If you'll open yourself up to that, God will take you up on it, and he'll start using you. And I want to pray for you. Why don't you bow your head where you are? Lord God, thank you for loving us, caring about us. Thank you for the many who prayed for us. Most of us can think about people who, before we became believers, knew that we needed you. They prayed for us. Many of them demonstrated that love of Jesus in a practical way. They shared the good news with us. Now, Lord, it's our turn. Please, God, use us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. changing us. <laughs> this morning I'm just going to kind of remember. I'm going to remember two dates. 1952 is when this building was placed on this. And it was the believers hearing God and then responding. And we have, and we have this evidence here now. But we can see this. It's confirmation. Next date I want to kind of focus on is 2018. 2018, um, there was a transition that began here. One pastor was to move on, and we had another pastor come in. One of the things that um, I was excited about was the counsel was given to him as he came here because we're, we're a small community. And we were struggling, still financially. And all those years, 66 years, from 1952 until 2018, right? This community was being poured into. There was others who were supporting so this community could thrive. And with the vision of this community being able to thrive, when Ed came in, he was, he was given that counsel that we need to find others that would be able to support on the outside if this community was to continue to, to, to uh, grow. Well, here's the Lord saying that it's time. It's time to go now on your own. There's a passage in uh, Joshua where they come into Canaan and now all of a sudden, um, they now are taking part of the produce of the land. And when they did, the manna stopped. All that time, the manna was uh, given to them in the desert. And here we are. Three years later, God confirms. This community has been thriving without that, without the manna. <laughs> And now, the Lord is bringing us to, again, another place. Because not only has it, again, the hope was that not all that pouring in was going to be able to have this community begin to pour out. And now this is where we're at. We're in this place of where we're going to be able to pour out. And again, it's by the faithfulness of those who are hearing God speak to them. And our response is, yes, Lord, let us go. So, as we move forward, call Ed on up, call the elders up. So we're just going to 
pray over as coming from the We hear your call. We hear where you're taking us. When we look with our eyes, sometimes we get confused. But we take our eyes and we set them on you. And as we set them on you, we say, I trust you. Yes. And as you bring us to this place, we know that there can be those struggles. But we know you're there. And we just take this time to Make another point of remembrance as we um, just pray over uh, Ed that he continues to uh, stand fast in knowing the confidence and the boldness that you have placed in him. That all that comes along, he will um, deal with everything through grace. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have a plan for our lives. The steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. Thank you, God, for placing in Ed's heart years ago a great burden for the unity of the body of Christ. For his living that out in very tangible ways. Thank you, Lord, for honoring that burden and opening up a door of opportunity for him to see it to even grow. And to see the fulfillment of that desire of yours that you may be one so that the world will know to make an impact on the world around us. So we pray, God, that you'd use him in ways that even we don't even know. And that may seem humanly beyond his skills or experience or training. Fill in those gaps, whatever they are. Make him the man that's needed to take others to a better place. Thank you for the team of leaders and the Together Partnership, the churches that have been faithfully involved over the years, the pastors who have been praying for each other, and those that have united together on occasion to serve their communities, and those that have participated to help their people get trained to better share the good news with the people around them. And Lord, we pray that you will give them great skill in being able to encourage them, serve them, and help them get where we all need to go. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Equip our brother. And thank you for giving him this church family to partner with him and share this burden with him. I pray that Graceway Community Church, small as it is, will have a greater impact than ever could be known. David did not seem like a likely candidate for kingdom rulership. But man looks on, on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Take the heart of this congregation and multiply it. Give us all the heart of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. 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 So, uh, I just, I was going to share a little bit as well. My name is Adam. Um, pretty sure you guys all know me by now. So, you know, our, our prayer about this service is that we all receive just a little bit of clarity vision of what God is doing. And so, as we're gathering around Pastor Ed, you might be asking, so what does this mean? What's happening? Um, you know, but as the elders, we've been listening to this call and wrestling with it for quite some time. Uh, in Genesis 22, um, God tests Abraham. He tests him, and, he's, and he calls him out, and Abraham responds, here I am, here I am. And he asked Abraham to do something, you know. And so Abraham obeys. He follows God and what he's asking him to do. And along his journey and following God, his own son, Father, Father, Abraham, here I am. Same response. He was present, not only to the task that God was calling him to do, which was quite a sacrifice, but he was trusting in the Lord, knowing that he is good, and that he will provide. The Lord will provide. That's what it says in Genesis 22. And then again, as he is practicing out his obedience to the Father, and he stretches out his arm, God stops him. Abraham, Abraham. 
Here I am. Here I am. That word here I am is behold. Look at me. It's the same word that Peter says in Acts chapter 3 when he looks upon the layman. He says, look at us. It's the same word except in Greek form. And so the time there and, and what I believe that God is doing in this community is he's calling us. He's calling us. And he's been speaking to us. And he's asking us to respond and to listen. And so as the eldership, our response is, here I am. Here I am. And so we are moving into a season where we're saying God is doing something in our pastor. And as an elder board, the four of us, myself, Ed Senior, Manny, we are going to be stepping up in a new way. Because what we're doing is we're saying, we're not looking at this model traditionally anymore. Traditionally, you go to a church and we pay a professional priest, like a Levite, we see the Israelites, they tithe 10% to pay the professional priesthood to fulfill the duty and the service in their communities, right? And so the, the idea is we're gonna pay someone to, to, perf to perform a pr professional duty for us. And what I'm saying is, what we're doing is financially irresponsible. <laughs> because we are going to be sowing into our pastor to sow into others. And we believe God is calling us to do this. And it doesn't make any sense on paper. Because we are a small church. Look around, guys. This is not a full row. You can drive 10 minutes and find a much more impressive service. I'll tell you that. By impressive, I mean what the eyes see, right? But God doesn't look at the eyes, he looks at the heart. And there's a lesson here, there's a lesson here. Last week we went through John 6, and we talked about Jesus' bread, and just the power of yeast. Now, I, I, I haven't been a real big fan of yeast, because I don't know nothing about it, except for the theory and how it works. And I know there can be infections and other things. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> 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 The kingdom of God is like yeast. Okay, oh, I can't, I can't get away from it. It's like leaven. It's like leaven. The kingdom of God is like leaven, and so yeah. I understand leaven in theory. I understand leaven in theory. Leaven in theory, yes, it makes sense. But God is not a theory. God is life. Yes. Leaven is alive. It is something that is small, but permeates and spreads. Oh, yeah. I really messed that up. I'm sorry. You're awesome, Adam. You're awesome. So, so here's, here's, what I'm, here's what I am to announce to you. We're going to be restructuring the leadership in our church. And what I mean by that is the elders are going to step up into new roles because we believe not only in the giftings, okay, the giftings that God has given the church and the giftings that God has given Pastor Ed, but we believe that we work together, all right? And so a practical way is I'm going to take over the house church aspect of what we do. And so that is something that I feel that God is saying, do, and I'm saying, here I am. And so it's, it's a little change, but it's something that we believe will help support Ed to free up some of his mental space so that he can dedicate sowing into the kingdom. The other elders, they step up in many ways behind the scenes, and they do a lot of different things, and we're gonna be working together. Ed is not leaving us, but what, what, is, what we're doing is we're saying, everyone says, here's the pastor, here's the elders. What we're saying is, the elders, okay? So that's what's happening here. It's a little bit different than what you may be used to, uh, but we've been doing a lot of crazy things lately. So. Uh, so with that, what we envision today is not only are we commissioning Pastor Ed to sow into the kingdom, we believe that we want the congregation to commission us as elders. And so all the elders are going to come up again, and we're going to have someone pray our words. Do you have a video? Uh, uh, no, I'll pray for you guys. Okay. Me? All right. All right. Dave, will you pray over us? Yeah, 
commission us to the body. So we're commissioning out of the body. This is a very tricky service. And then we're being commissioned into the body. We don't have enough hands to reach around. So if you guys would, just kind of an acknowledgement of what the Lord is doing, just kind of pray out and extend your hands, and, uh, and we'll pray over them. It's kind of like, it's not a commissioning, they've been commissioned as our elders, but really yeah. it's, it's a recommissioning into this new structure, this new way of serving the kingdom together. Yeah. So I'll just pray quickly, and then Dave, I'll, I'll pass it to you. No, I've heard Michael already. Oh, you're good, like, you're good to go. Get between these two brothers, and we'll go lay hands on both. Father, uh, we are trusting you here today. Acknowledging that you have been at work and uh, doing some very different things, unfamiliar things for quite some time. And we're nearing the place where it's really kind of coming to a head and we see this is the next practical step for us to respond. This is our act of saying, here we are. We see you. We are not going to turn the other way. We are not going to ignore it. We acknowledge you're calling us into this new thing. And so here we are. We respond, Lord, with open hearts and open hands. We are willing, Lord Jesus. And I thank you so much for um, Manny and Adam and my dad. And I thank you for the heart, the willing heart that you have placed within them, Lord Jesus. I thank you, God, for, this, for the skill with which you have trained them in the word of God, that they use it skillfully, Lord, the sword of the spirit. I thank you for the way you have trained them experientially, Lord, of, of ministering to people in need, ministering to those who need your counsel. I thank you for the insight that you have blessed them with, Lord Jesus. For that, that they come, Lord God, with seasoned wisdom to offer, to strengthen and edify the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray that this act of us stepping forward and saying, here I am. Lord, that this would be an example to our whole congregation, Lord, as a church, that we would come before you and say, here I am. Acknowledging you, responding, and say, your will be done. Yes. Your kingdom come yes. on this earth, in Middletown and throughout Rhode Island and New England, just as it is yeah. in heaven, Lord. We give you ourselves this morning, and thank you. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for giving these men servants' hearts. And just as in ancient times they ordained elders for them in every place, Thank you for these men taking on this responsibility. They have before. Today is sort of a reaffirmation that, of that before you. But we thank you that you've made them, you, Holy Spirit, have made them shepherds for the Church of God. And uh, though it doesn't fit with our modern parlance, thank you that you've made them the pastors of this church. Make them a true partnership together. Help them discover even better the gifts they have to complement one another in their ministries and see the work get done. And may, even though their responsibilities may grow, may they not make the mistake of thinking that it all lands on them. Instead, use them to equip the rest of the saints in this place for the work of the ministry for them to do as well as they share this together. And Lord, we pray that uh, though there is a wolf who wants to scatter the sheep, that they will be able to keep watch over each other, protect one another in a spiritual way, and make sure that they're walking with God the way they need to. And Lord, we pray that you give the congregation open hearts to them and to their leadership. Make their work a joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I want to take a few minutes and talk about the last couple of years and where the leadership and I think most of the folks that are make up our congregation know where we've been and give you an idea where we're going. What we've heard this morning, where we're going. But we've been going through what is traditionally called a liminal time. When you're in a liminal place, you know where you were yesterday, and you know somehow today that things are different. Something's going to change, but you're not really quite sure where you're going. On last Tuesday night, we were uh, 
given the opportunity to share in a, uh, a lecture series from Gordon Conwell. And this last session was on this book by Susan Beaumont called How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going. It was really interesting. The book is a great read. It's not cheap, though. It's a $40, 200-page book. But it's very good, some good ideas. Susan Beaumont had made her profession for the last 20 plus years as a uh, church counselor. She'd go into a church that was experiencing kind of birth troubles or whatever and provide, uh, help build a plan on how to rescue the church, stop the bleeding and get things back on track. She did that for 15, 20 years. And then um, somewhere back around 2000, uh, 2010, she realized that things weren't working anymore. The way she had planned with the church, almost like a business plan. Step one, step two, step three, and we'll get you back on track and see growth again. It wasn't happening. It wasn't working for her. And she started to wonder what was wrong, what had changed. So she invested some time in researching the idea and trying to come up with ways to help churches since the thing that she'd done for so long didn't seem to be working anymore. And this book kind of recaps some of the ideas that she found. One of the most important ideas, I think, from that book is the idea of don't try to build a business plan anymore. Rather, look for the leading of the Spirit. How is God moving among the church? Why don't the things work that used to work? What will work instead? Don't build a plan. Allow God to speak into your hearts. And I can tell you, that's where we've been. And it, we started with it even before COVID. Uh, we started small groups as a part of an answer to that question. How can we best minister to Graceway? And that was an answer we found before COVID. And I think, at least in part, what God did through COVID was to spread that same word across our country. Right? People got driven out of churches, and it meant you had to meet in small groups or Zoom meetings. That was the only option for a long time. Well, God had us there ahead of the curve. Yep. We didn't know what was going on, <laughs> to tell you the truth, but we still don't have all the answers. We're still in this liminal time. We're still seeking the heart of God. What do you have to embrace me? And I want to share out of scripture this morning, a liminal time in the life of the prophet Elijah. And if you want to look around, look along with me, I'm in 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19. And the story there, it's one you've heard before. Elijah is called by God to uh, challenge the prophets of Baal. He wants to bring it to a contest of, of a kind. Interestingly, in chapter 18, it starts with a story about there being a famine, excuse me, not a famine, a drought in the land of Israel. You know, uh, before this drought came, water was abundant. You could buy a gallon of water in Israel for under $3, no problem. But once this drought hit, it seems like in a matter of weeks, you couldn't find a gallon of water for less than $4 a gallon. The price of shot up was so expensive all of a sudden. Talks about the drought, and then it goes on to how God has inspired Elijah to challenge the prophets of Baal. So he says, let's get together, we're going to have this meeting. I want you to bring wood, I want you to arrange the wood, and I want you to pray to Baal to call down fire to consume the wood. And so they do that. They meet together, the prophets of Baal pray from dawn to dusk, looking for God to answer them, and to step for their God to answer them, and to burn that wood, and nothing happens. So now comes Elijah's turn. Elijah steps up. He digs a hole, builds an altar to uncut stones, right, to worship God. And then he says, now pour on some water. This four, over four dollars again. Pour on water, and he does it three times. They pour on more and more water, soak it really well. Elijah wants there to be no way that anyone's going to say there was some trick done here. And he prays to the God of heaven. He prays to Yahweh, 
And Yahweh brings down this fire and it consumes the wood. It's totally burnt up. Then Elijah goes to Ahab and he says to Ahab, you better leave now. Better go home because before long there's going to be a storm. These ruins, it's going to be so much water. You're not going to be able to drive your chariots. So go home now before the storm comes. It's, it's what's called in scripture an inclusio. You start with one verse, and then you tell this other story, and then you end with a similar verse, or a similar idea to where you started. It began with an announcement about the drought that's coming on. And then there's this whole story about Baal versus Yahweh. And then at the end of it comes the end of the drought. The drought at the beginning, the drought at the end. An inclusio. So Ahab, he listens to Elijah, even though he's been seeking his life and wanting to kill him so many times. When he sees what God does through him, he listens to him. And that's totally stupid anyway. And he runs home and he tells his wife Jezebel. Oh, and by the way, I skipped one part. After God had brought the fire down and burned the wood, Elijah had commissioned the soldiers of Israel to kill the prophets of Baal. Elijah, the only prophet of Yahweh that was there, and something like 400, 450 prophets of Baal, and they were all killed. Now, when Ahab gets home and tells Jezebel what's going on, she vows that she's going to kill Elijah. She wants him done. Until that part, all the way through chapter 18 and the beginning of chapter 19 in 1 Kings, Elijah is so sure of himself that he's doing exactly what God has commanded him to do. He's got that old business plan, step one, step two, step three. He knows what he's supposed to do exactly. But right here, Elijah enters into a liminal place. Because he hears somehow that Jezebel has called for his death. She's put a, she put a price on his head, is what she's done. And until then, he knew exactly what God wanted him doing. Now he enters a place where he's not quite so sure what he's supposed to do. When you get into a liminal place, you're not sure what, what to do next. What do I, where do I go? What do I trust? How do I move forward from where I am? So I want to read to you, beginning in chapter 19 and verse 9. The subtitle here is, The Lord Speaks to Elijah. So there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> God's been leading him step by step by step. Finally, God takes his hand off just a little bit. He's still there. But Elijah doesn't sense that direct leading like he did before. And so God tells him and says, What's the problem, Elijah? What's going on? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And, left. and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. One thing about being in a liminal place, it's a lonely place. That in-between place, you feel like, you, you know that somehow God has stepped He's still there. He's still guiding. It's not like you've given up on him or he's given up on you, but you just don't sense that. I know this is the step, next step to take. We're kind of waiting to hear. That's where we were. That's where we've been. And we still are. What you've heard about what's happening today, this morning, this has been going on. This is part of the process. But it isn't over yet. It's not done and finished. It will keep changing. So God speaks to him, and he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Some translations put there, after the fire, a perfect silence. See, we want God, we want to see big storms, right? We want the winds blowing and knowing that only God could cause such a, such a ruckus. This must be 
God speaking, trying to get our attention. Fire to fall from heaven and consume something like he'd just done. Right? His battle with the, with the Baals. But that wasn't how God came next time. It was in a perfect silence. And you're not going to hear God in a perfect silence unless you've got really good hear, ears. Or in my case, hearing aids, because my ears are <laughs> You've got to be listening for what God is saying to you. And that's what we've been. Since before the start of COVID, we have been, and it began with that, I can tell you that, listening, God, what's the next step? When he tells you, when you hear that answer, you know, and you don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know how it's going to play out. What's going to be easy? What's going to be hard? What are we going to have to change? We still don't know. And it's still uncomfortable <laughs> being, being in that transition, right? Being in the middle between what we were and what we're going to be. But I can tell you to a man on this board, we know where God is leading us. There's no question. He's provided that assurance and blessed us. <coughs> I thought uh, 20, 25 years ago I was a member of a very different church. I was living in Johnston, Rhode Island, attending an assembly of God in South Avenue. And I, I don't want to say I had a vision, but I just an impression, a thought that just kept coming back into my mind that God really wanted to move through our church there and begin a revival in that community. And the vision that God, or the, the idea that God planted in my brain was a bunch of people standing on, like imagine an old west little town, right? Wooden buildings all around, and a wooden train station with a platform out on the backside, right? And the train comes in, and there's a big wooden water tower, and there's a stack of wood that they'd load the wood to burn to make the steam to power the train. So here comes this train down the track. It's the revival train. And all the folks out on the on this veranda, and they're encouraging one another and telling one another, "Oh, it's so great! The life is coming, and when it comes, we're going to get on board and we're going to work with God." And the train pulls into the station, and it stops. And the men working the train, they get out and they open the water tower and they, they flood the boiler again, they refill it, and they're stacking the wood. And the conductor comes out, "All aboard!" People are so busy clapping one another on the back and encouraging one another about the revival train that they don't even see it. They don't hear it. They don't know that it's there. And the train finishes their preparations, and the conductor calls the last time, all aboard. Revival train's setting out. And he looks at the people. And he's, he's, he's curious. He can't figure out what's going on. He shakes his head. I can hear them talking about wanting to get on board the revival train, and here we are. We're going to be leaving, and nobody's getting on board. He gets on the train, signals to the, to the driver, and the train pulls out of the station. And all the people on the, on the platform keep smiling and talking and so excited that God's going to be moving. And they totally missed it. That dream came back. I, 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 it, it, for several weeks it went on before it finally ended. I know that what God is doing through together and through us, I, I can't promise you that there's a revival anytime soon. I don't know the heart of God. I don't have any special inside information. But I know we need ears and that that see. And I know that God has been for years now moving through this place. And this is the next step. And what Ed is doing is a part of that process that God willing will ultimately lead to a revival and sooner. Amen. 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 We've got to open our eyes and we've got to open our ears 
talk about prayer vigils. Prayer, uh, revival won't come without prayer. Yeah. And if you wait till the revival's here and then you start praying, well, too little too late, folks. <laughs> now is the time to pray. Now is the time to seek the face of God. That's right. Because he's moving. So let's, let's, as Pastor called us earlier, let's join in now with prayer. You know, let's flood this place and visit on the 20th, the night of the 20th. Um, let these seats be filled with people.